Good evening, everybody. Uh, David Glinky, my co-pilot, is still flying. He's actually in Korea. Uh, I think there was a storm there, so uh, he can't take off and be with us, but he'll be with us later in the week. Um, And I wanted to share with you that um, I had a remarkable day today. I had the privilege to be with Pastor Jurgen Mathesius. I hope I said that right. I've been practicing his last name. And he and his wife, uh, Leanne, were were a great blessing uh, to, to me. They, they actually came to a service where we were, were facing um, a shutdown and they drove all the way up from San Diego and they're part of the C3 churches and very encouraging. And at the conclusion of the service, they made a commitment to go back to San Diego and encourage the churches connected with C3 to open. And they've been open since and they're, they're facing struggles, uh, but they are committed to opening up California. And as I've said earlier, uh, where we have in Ventura County, we had the six boxes uh, for the county to open. And the one box that we hadn't accomplished yet was a number of cases per day. But if you looked at the box in the upper right-hand corner, that was the number of testings per day. And we were over in the number of testings required by the state. And if you just lowered that to the minimal number that the state required, by percentage, this would itself be resolved. So it was a matter of semantics and we were ready to open. Well, as you know, the governor, we have all these churches in Ventura County who are trying to comply by the governor's standards. They've been meeting outside, social distancing masks in this heat. And uh, now the governor comes out and completely erases all of that, takes all authority to the state level, removes it from the county's hands and does four color-coded categories, purple, red, orange, and yellow and places Ventura County in the purple. I think there's two or three counties that are even in the yellow portion. There's no green. There's nowhere where the governor is going to lift his restrictions, his draconian restrictions upon anyone in the state. And now the restrictions that he's placed, the church itself uh, isn't even considered open to 50% until the yellow box. And, and the, the chance of even coming out of purple, it's gonna take these congregations into the winter months And they're going to be less uh, occupancy. They can only get to 50%. And that's months away. And we're watching the decline in both deaths and positive cases. Hospitalizations are all declining. And the draconian measures and and the, the heaviness of the governor, he's doubled down. And so churches are finally realizing this governor, this state legislature, has no interest in the church. They have no interest in the essential nature of the church. They have no interest in abiding by the First Amendment. They have no interest, which is to me even greater, they have no interest in the small businesses that they're destroying. They have no interest in the children whose lives are being crushed by these draconian measures. When we look at the severity of the virus itself, now that we have empirical data, we've seen with the CDC, 6% of the total number of deaths in the United States are attributed to people who died from COVID and the other 94% are people who died with COVID. And we've already seen in our own county that you're attributing an overdose death, a car accident death. Those are all being attributed to a COVID death because when they died from a collapsed lung or they died from an overdose, they had COVID when they died. And so they get money in relation to that if they place it as a COVID death. And, And these numbers are coming out, they're trying to suppress it. 
We've seen the frontline doctors being suppressed. We're watching all the data. And yet this has been so politicized and all it's doing is affecting all of our our middle income Californians who are leaving the state in droves. And if if you doubt that, just take a look at the cost of a U-Haul, 26 foot U-Haul leaving California and going to any other state in the union, you're gonna pay an enormous amount of money. But to bring that same 26 foot U-Haul back to California, they almost pay you to bring it back. They need U-Haul vans here in California because everybody's leaving. And, and we're being left with a governor that isn't looking at the data, doesn't care about the small businesses, doesn't care about the people being sequestered with their abusers, doesn't care uh, about convicts being released. As a matter of fact, the state legislature's voting even now as we speak. They went to 3 o'clock in the morning last night putting more of these these laws passed in California, wanting more convicts released. And, and then, of course, we have the video today of uh, Speaker Pelosi going in, and she gets to get her hair done without a mask, although in San Francisco, but the place where she's going has been required to be shut, except for when she comes in. It's duplicitous, and it's just wrong, and we're all tired of it. And so um, I, I, we, we got this amazing uh, headline, and, and the governor has finally uh, decided that we can stay on, on lockdown until scientists dis- discover a cure for death. And that's how long we'll be on this lockdown. That's the Babylon B. It's hyperbole. It's a joke. Uh, but it's, you know, there's truth in, in humor or there's humor in truth, vice versa. It, it almost seems as though this is going to go till November 3rd. And then I guess everyone's going to decide what they're going to do after, uh, you know, the, the COVID restrictions have been lifted after the election. It, it's, it's daunting and overwhelming. And the reason why I'm so encouraged by uh, Pastor Jurgen is when, when Jack Hibbs and John MacArthur, and now I've heard Shepherd of the Hills, and I also know Lance Ralston and Sam Gallucci here in our own county, handful of others, they've opened their churches and they're facing a backlash and it's almost as though we're, we're kind of dancing alone in relation to this. But then when you have a guy like Jurgen drive two, two and a half hours, three hours up to Ventura County to figure out how do we open, what does this look like, trying to gain understanding and then going back with what he learned and then sharing that with the, the, the group of churches he belongs to. And we're watching this in Los Angeles. We're watching it. Uh, Mike McClure up at Calvary Chapel San Jose is facing $5,000 fines. Che On, who oversees 183 churches in California, they're all opening. And, and Mike's already open. There's another church in Santa Clara that's facing fines. He's open. Uh, Hillcrest School is opened. Uh, a number of charter schools, private schools, they're being crushed. And, and, and these new draconian measures by the governor just tells all of us he doesn't care. He does not care. He doesn't care about the data. He doesn't care about the health of the, of, of the state. His greatest concern is political manipulation. And it's, it's evident to everybody. And so we're, we're all frustrated and, and tired of it. And the reason why I brought up uh, Pastor Jurgen is because... Um, there's a really cool video. I don't know if they're going to be able to let us see it in its entirety because it is a YouTube video and they tend to shut us down if we show it. But I want you to see how to start a movement. I'm the guy who's dancing and then Jurgen comes along in the video and he's the guy who's made this a movement and I'm blessed by him and I do this as a tribute to Pastor Jurgen. Uh, so take a look at the video. It's called How to Start a Movement. <laughs> Thank you. 
So ladies and gentlemen, at TED we talk a lot about leadership and how to make a movement. So let's watch a movement happen start to finish in under three minutes and dissect some lessons from it. First, of course you know, a leader needs the guts to stand out and be ridiculed. <laughs> but what he's doing is so easy to follow. So here's his first follower with a crucial role. He's going to show everyone else how to follow. Now notice that the leader embraces him as an equal. So now it's not about the leader anymore, it's about them, plural. Now there he is calling to his friends. Now if you notice that the first follower is actually an underestimated form of leadership in itself. It takes guts to stand out like that. The first follower is what transforms a lone nut into a leader. <laughs> and here comes a second follower. Now it's not a lone nut, it's not two nuts. Three is a crowd, and the crowd is news. So a movement must be public. It's important to show not just the leader, but the followers. Because you find that new followers emulate the followers, not the leader. And here come two more people, and immediately after, Three more people. Now we've got momentum. This is the tipping point. Now we've got a movement. <laughs> so notice that as more people join in, it's less risky. So those that were sitting on the fence before now have no reason not to. They won't stand out. They won't be ridiculed. But they will be part of the in crowd if they hurry. So. Over the next minute, you'll see all of the, uh, those that prefer to stick with the crowd, because eventually they would be ridiculed for not joining in. And that's how you make a movement. But let's recap some lessons from this. So first, if you... That way we can shut it down and not worry. You got the whole gist of it. Uh, a lone idiot dancing, and then Jurgen comes along, and it becomes a movement. And I, I'm thankful for Pastor Jurgen. I'm thankful for Pastor uh, John MacArthur. I'm thankful for Lance Ralston and Sam Gallucci and Mike McClure and uh, Jack Hibbs and, and uh, I, countless others, Shepherd of the Hills, Dudley Rutherford, all these folks uh, joining in. And, and the idea is it's, it's time to awaken to the reality of what this is all about. And the, the church is going to be the lead on this. And then uh, I was... I was examining, talking to somebody who was discouraged seeing all the people leaving California and they moved here and they were committed to working in California to change the political climate and be a part of these things. And, and they were getting discouraged as they were seeing these younger couples leaving and folks that were very instrumental in the state moving to other states. And my comment to him was, and I, I, had, I had been blessed with this as someone had shared with me, that... You, you have Gideon's army and God reduces it to a handful of people and folks that are, are, are afraid or want to go and tend to their families. God says, let them go. And they all leave and you're left with a handful of folks. And when the battle is accomplished, it's as it, the Lord said, come on back. And, and these others came back and joined them. I don't despair of people who've left. There's reasons why. I don't despair of people who aren't participating in what we're doing currently but as this starts to take on momentum, those folks will join and ultimately we're going to return to a place where we're contending for the freedoms of Californians and the nation as well. So I just want you to be encouraged by that. Now, uh, in a sense, being considered a lone nut out there until Jurgen and others, and, and I'm, I wasn't the first on this, you know, Jack Hibbs and others, I, I, I don't want to take credit for that, but I will say there were times where it was lonely. And the encouragement came to me by someone who has been a constant guest on this program, and I'm excited to have him tonight. And there's a lot of areas we want to go tonight, 
But early on, when I met him in January, he laid out a series of issues and, and laid out statistics and analysis and studies that he had done. And he looked at uh, the, the cruise liner ship that they had all the data on with a, a closed ventilation system, how the virus uh, doesn't survive on surfaces and went through all the data and shared that. And when I was presenting that early on, people said, where are you getting this? And it was his studies. It was his work. We presented it to folks. They started to see it. And what we've seen transpire now that we're here in September, uh, all the stuff that he shared has been completely true and is now coming to uh, to light and people are starting to join and come and be a part of this movement. And all of you know who I'm speaking of. It's my dear brother and friend, Dr. Keith Rose. Hey buddy, welcome. Thank you. Yeah, you're, you're, one, you. you're one of the nuts dancing. I have been accused of being a little nutty sometimes. <laughs> I, I, was, uh, I was blessed when, here, here you've been saying all along, talking about the, the, the idea of death from COVID and death with COVID. And you, you saw these numbers. You were tracking You have a number of urgent care clinics throughout Texas. You've been in contact with the frontline doctors. You've been reading the, you've been doing the research. You've been going to the original sources. Even when we saw the Lancet study, you were skeptical of that. And you realized hydroxychloroquine and all these other things were being suppressed. And you've been saying it all along. And now we see the CDC come out and state that of all the deaths in the United States, 6% of them are attributed to people who that died from COVID. And the other 94% were comorbidities and dying with COVID. And you also pointed out the, the average age of the death in addition to the average life expect, expectancy of an American. These were all things you were telling us months and months and months ago. Do you want to elaborate on any of that? I, you can, you know, pat yourself on the back, but I, I know that's not you. No, but just... I, I, I wasn't anyone special. I read and I look back at my history and my experience. If, if you look, I mean, you know, I'm a big Oswald Chambers fan. Yeah. And I love the thing he says. He says, a man cannot say he is an honest intellectual doubter if he refuses one way of getting to the truth. That is mental immorality. Mm. And what I was seeing is there was only one way to get to the truth when they started out like this. So, and I'm, and I'm by nature as a scientist, as a physician, I always question. And I mean, we're taught to question and that's, that's science. That's how you get to the truth. So when this virus first came out, it seemed we had more con. We had more invincible ignorance on this virus, basically. You know, it, people were just, they were rock solid in their opinion. And their opinion would change every month, like Dr. Fauci. First, we didn't need masks. It was a no big deal. We didn't need lockdowns. Then we did. And he came out and he had one way of getting to the truth. He, he refused to actually go to the truth. He went around it in every way. And it made me think Oswald Chambers and just that mental immorality. And when you had doctors that were going, well, the CDC says it, so it must be true. And there were a lot of studies already out there. And like we talked about, I read them. I looked at the cruise ship. I looked at my experience working overseas and seeing a lot of different viruses. And so I had to ask myself, why is this virus so different? And, and then you look at the way people were reporting it. And Rob, you and I have talked about this. We, never, we always would hear about positive tests. We never heard about 
sick patients. We heard about positive tests. We never heard about patients with active disease. We never right. heard about patient deaths initially. We just heard about deaths and positive tests, not deaths from. In fact, they would always say deaths with. And you and if you look at the wordsmithing, especially early on on this, it just made me seek that truth. And 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 it made me it made me question everything because I remember I actually pulled my file from 2009 on H1N1. Now I kept the whole file, everything the CDC put out and our medical societies put out, because I caught H1N1 in the Middle East, and, you and were, I thought you, I was going to die. And you were part of the WHO. You were you were a part of their team. I've been badged. I've been badged by the World Health Organization, and I understand how they do process, and yeah. I also understand any bureaucracy in science, medicine, or anything, say government. It's not always about getting to the truth. It's more about establishing yourself, keeping and maintaining power. So I had my doubts. And when I looked at my studies on H1N1, I have the paper from the CDC, which came out, I believe, in October or November. And it said, stop testing for H1N1. Just treat the patient if you see symptoms. So why in like a decade did we go from stop testing, treat the patient to not paying attention to the patient, but paying attention to the test, which yeah. really was meaningless without looking further. I mean, if you want to, you're at church, if you want to take it, it's like someone saying, I'm a Christian. Well, okay, I, I take your word for it, but where's your fruit? What is your, what is your life show from here forward? You know, what, what are you doing that I would look deeper than that? And, and it's like if, someone, if you're someone selling you a house and they say, I'm a realtor, you probably want to know, are they actually a realtor? So you, you don't just take it on face value. You look for more information. You go to the doctor. You know you, can't, you don't just walk in a room and some guy goes, I'm a doctor. You probably want to know, did you go to medical school? Yeah. Did you graduate? You know, are you treating patients? People, people spend more time looking for their doctor than they did actually looking to see what this disease was. And a lot of doctors, and I'm not, I'm not blaming anyone, but a lot of people, I know doctors are busy, and it just seemed like, People weren't questioning anything. It's it just everyone wanted to move in the same direction. There was no obstacle, except for a few of the frontline doctors, Dr. Simone Gold, James Todoro, some others. I know um, Dr. Ioannidis got out there early in front of this, Dr. Reich yep. from Yale. Yep. And, and, and people that what I call intellectually honest were going, none of this adds up. And then, and I told you about this, that Lancet article. Yep. When that Lancet article came out, and I've done, I've published – 15 or more papers in peer review journals back when I was much younger. And that peer review process takes some time. And I did publish something in the annals of surgery was a retrospective look at burn survivors greater than 80%. And I had to go back and look at over a hundred charts of these burn survivors to pull the data. And I did it by hand because this is, we had computers, but you had to go pull the records and do it by hand. And so I know how long that took. It took three years to get published in the annals of surgery. Now, fast forward, you have a retrospective study of 96,000 patients that came out relatively fast and, and made some very, if you look at the wording, they made some wordsmith type hydroxychloroquine appears to cause bad problems, yada, 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 and the news just ran with it. And everyone took it as, as gospel until People started doing what we do now in evidence-based medicine. They looked at the meta-science or the actual design of the study. And here's where it gets interesting. When they questioned the design of the study, the people that did the study, it came out from a company that did the data crunch out of Chicago that had six employees. 
The head scientific writer was actually a science fiction writer. The head of marketing worked part-time as an adult model, and you guys in um, California know what that means. They were a porn star. Yeah, James Todaro oh, covered star, he, but, uh, Dr. Todaro covered this. He was the one who discovered it. He's, he's, he hunted it yeah, down. Yeah, well, he, uh, I, he, I mean, I, I saw it. I, I didn't read his, but I know he did this. He, he talked about this, I, I heard, when I talked to him. But, but the thing that was interesting was they couldn't produce a record. Right. And, but that made it to the number one, the top journal in the world, and it made it through an editorial board. So this is not just oops. In fact, and, and, and James talks about this. He was on uh, – I was on a podcast with Charlie the other day with James. The, the editor of that magazine, Lancet, said this was a monumental fraud. And what I want to ask people is why aren't we talking about a monumental fraud that stopped people from taking a medication that has been shown anecdotally by thousands of physicians around the world to work? Because the byproduct of that is people died. Yep. And then you see the numbers that the CDC revised the other day, deaths from COVID. And, you know, they just took a basically 170,000 deaths and, and took it down to about, what, 9,000? Yeah. Or six, six to 9,000. And that's about what we lost at H1N1. And so why aren't we talking about that? Why are we still talking about spacing? I mean, social distancing. Why are we still talking about masks? Why are we not opening schools? Yeah. All the evidence is pointing in one direction. And so as American citizens, we see this in front of our eyes, yet we're not doing anything as a group. And we are failing our nation by not recognizing and seeking truth and doing something about it. It's like people go, oh, that's interesting. And we're like, well, we're not reacting to that. We shut down the use of hydroxychloroquine and canceled two world studies on it on an article that was retracted in two weeks as a monumental fraud. And the CDC puts out data that should open this entire country, and we're all sitting here. Uh, no, Why? worse than that, not just sitting here. The governor of California goes even harder on the small businesses and the families and the schools and the churches and the shutdown, and we're all suffering. And, and his, his application of, of dictatorial draconian measures is far more deadly and dangerous than anything this virus has put forward now with the new data. It, it, it's, it's mind-boggling. Well, and, and, and see, and the, and the thing is this. Why aren't the citizens of California stepping outside their house and saying enough because this governor, you have a 35% increase in domestic abuse, and that's a low end of that number. Yep. People are home with their abusers in California. You've had an increase in suicides, overdoses, and no one's holding him accountable. I mean, we were talking about this before the show. You look back to 1946 after World War II in the city of Athens, Tennessee. Let me pause this real quick because I want to set this up because this was intriguing what you shared about the Battle of Athens in Tennessee. We're, we're, we're looking at, at and, and, and the data that I'd shared on Sunday in regards to the hashtag uh, White House siege that they're, they're planning on September 17th and November 3rd, 50 days of protests in front of uh, the White House with, and, and we know these, these aren't peaceful protests, but they can report however they want. The reality is we've seen cities burning and there's, there's nefarious actors and there's an intent on this. 
but all this seems to be pushing towards this idea of vote by mail. Uh, the governor is, is doubling down on his draconian measures and is completely politicized and the health of America is irrelevant. This is, this is a power issue. And, and when you brought up uh, something that I'm vaguely familiar with, and it was even covered in a movie, but to revisit it historically is fascinating. The folks need to hear about this. So there's your setup, run with it. Well, no, it was back in 1946 when some Americans were actually being brutalized by their county government. Ironically enough, it was a Democrat-run county. It was a big Democratic-run machine. I believe the guy that was in charge of everything was Cup, was his last name, C-U-P-P. I got and it here. What they were, what they were doing, and the movie didn't do it justice. It's Crump. What they were doing, Crump, Crump, Crump. I'm e -E sorry, Crump. Crump. Yeah. Crump. Yeah. And what they were doing is they were charging people. They were stopping motorists, shaking them down. They were stuffing ballot boxes. They were making sure that all their cronies were there. They were shaking down businesses. And it had been going on, and it was so bad that people were writing their loved ones who were at war during World War II. And these GIs could not wait to get home. They were so – they, they have letters if you read deep and understand this. They, had, they were writing letters back and forth. These guys wanted to get home because they felt like you know, they were over there fighting for their country, and their country was abusing their yeah. own citizens, and the government was abusing. So at the end of 1945, they had 3,000 people from that county, battle-hardened soldiers, returned to Athens, Tennessee. And they just come they out of, they, just come out of the North African conflict. So these, when you yes, say battle-hardened, they were ready to roll. They, they, they all had experience, but you know what they also had? They had discipline. Yeah. They also understood, and this is what, you know, the, the Democrats were out to just control that entire county. And they weren't just controlling it. They were tyrannical in their control. They were stealing from people. When the GIs came back, they were stopping these GIs and making them pay a tax, and they were, they were throwing them in jail. They were accusing them of all kinds of things. They were saying, you're drunk. And the guy's like, I'm not drunk. And here, you, owe, you have to pay a $200 fine. And it got so bad that these guys decided enough was enough. So they ran. They decided to do the electoral process. They ran a GI ticket for, I believe, sheriff and mayor. And so the political machine decided, well, that's not going to work. They went and stole the ballot boxes and took them to the county courthouse so that they could open them, take out the ones that they wanted, and – be successful in the election. This is the corrupt group. So the GIs went to the local armory. They got guns, and these are citizens, and they stormed. They, they, they surrounded the county courthouse slash jail, and they ended up having to use dynamite to blow the door to get inside. Now, I don't believe anyone died. Several were shot, but what they did is they were able to restore the election and have legal results in the GI ticket one. They also took their guns after they restored order and put them back in the armory and no one was prosecuted by the state. Now, fast forward to we have people coming back from overseas, Afghanistan, Iraq. And I can only imagine I spent a lot of time in um, both places, primarily Afghanistan. And you come back to the United States and you're seeing our liberties trampled they're not taking – well, they are taking money from us because people are losing their jobs. Yep. Businesses are closed. 60% of your restaurants won't open, and it's wrong. 
And what they and so why are the citizens sitting there going, well, there's nothing we can do now as Christ followers, we always want to honor God and we, we, we want to go through the process, but the process, and you read about it Sunday, you were telling me, as you understand, I sent that to you, it's not getting better and they're going to continue to push it till we do something about it. The one thing you can look up the history of riots, the history of insurrections, the history of any mass violence that led to a tyranny. The only way to stop it is to put it down hard and to put it down fast and appeasement never works. I mean, you could almost, you can use parallels to your forest fires in California. You know, you're so nice to your forest and we don't want to do anything. We don't want to clear it out. And so what happens? Fire gets started. You got a bunch of junk there and it just goes crazy. You have to aggressively cull it. You have to take out the dead wood. You have to manage it. You have to to do the things that are necessary to keep our freedom. And our founders talked about this in the Declaration of Independence. You read that first paragraph, those first few paragraphs. They, I mean, it, it's very specific. It, it, and it talks about how they have to throw off basically government when it becomes onerous and tyrannical. It's our responsibility. It doesn't say if it gets really bad, we think you should do it or vote it. It's our responsibility as American citizens. If we don't do that, we're not going to be free. So, again, I circle back to, you know, you had 3,000 GIs come back and all they wanted to do. And they didn't kill anyone to do it, but they did shut down the tyranny. Yeah. And then they turned over their guns. You've well, got a lot of Californians that could shut this down tomorrow simply by going to work. If everyone stepped out, it would be over before it started. And if they don't, it's going to be like that dead wood that catches fire, and you're going to have a disaster on your hands. You know, uh, I, I was sharing with Charlie uh, when he was asking about Romans 13 and the, the pushback that we get from uh, folks within Christendom as though we're violating Romans 13. And I've, I've gone over that, and I don't want to bore people with it. But, but to simply say, as I responded to Charlie, if we the people who are the authority listed in Romans 13 in the government that we've been given, if we the people do not, and, and, and they govern by our consent and we're the authority, if we allow them to be tyrannical and to step outside the, 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 the boundaries of the Constitution they swear to defend, because the Constitution doesn't give us rights, it protects the rights given to us by God, that a government wouldn't intrude on those rights. That's why these officials swear to, to defend this, because all of us are encompassed in those seven articles of the Constitution. And then they gave us the First Amendment, which is the, the freedom of the press, the freedom of the pulpit, the freedom of speech, and the freedom to peaceably assemble for a right of redress of grievances. So when the tyrant steps outside the boundaries of that constitution and begins to be tyrannical upon the inalienable rights of the citizenry, if the press is complicit with the tyrant then truth isn't expressed and censorship begins, which is what we've seen with COVID, what we've seen with hydroxychloroquine, which we've seen with the frontline doctors, that the press is complicit to only present the data of the tyrant. And now the people start to realize, wait a minute. And then if the pulpits, which are supposed to be the clarion of liberty, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. If they don't start to tell the folks to participate and the churches are shut down, which is, 
which is where we start to understand that we're accountable to God and accountable to each other. And we've been endowed by our creator with these inalienable rights. And he wants us to excel. We're Imago Imago Dei, created in his image. And, and, to, to be set free. It's the whole story of Exodus with three to five million Jews being enslaved and being set free and then being given moral law so that they would live together for 40 years without a police force or a standing army because they were accountable to God, accountable to each other. So this representative form of government, if the pulpits don't declare that and, and they just become compliant and they become yeah, they're peacemakers by heart. I know my fellow shepherds, they're peacemakers. They, they don't want conflict, I get that. And, and they, they, they don't think that, that they're supposed to engage in the, in, in the government. But the government is now engaging in the church and they're realizing that they're being infringed upon and so is their congregations. And now with these new draconian measures, they're, they're thinking, wait a minute, you just keep changing the rules. There's no winning in this. This is a gimmick. This is like being in a used car dealership. We're going to lose no matter what we do. And for used car dealers, there's a couple of honest ones out there. Please forgive me for the analogy. But my point is this. If the press is complicit and the pulpits are silent and the people can't peaceably assemble because they're being beat up or they're being attacked by organized, supported fascists, then there's a reason why gun sales there's, there's 5 million new gun owners in, in the last, I don't know, handful of months. Because when the tyrant comes to invade their home and there's no government and no one to defend them, they're going to protect their, their family. They're going to protect their freedom. And, and that's the, the second amendment. We will only get to Athens, Tennessee status if the press remains complicit and the pulpits remain silent. If we can do this with words and with truth and contend and hold them accountable and push back now, we don't get to the place where average citizens are desperate. And this is why well, we, we need to respond now. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And you said the answer. Because if we don't respond now, there's going to be another step. And as you said, you know, people would like to use Romans 13, but the law, the way our founders did this, it's in the first page of our birth certificate. We, the people. Yep. Oh, that, was, I mean, and, and that the is preamb- the law. The preamble and, to and, the and constitution. The preamble to the constitution. I'm sorry. Preamble. Cons- but then if listen to this, I mean, because this is, I mean, the, the declaration of independence is important. And that no one pays attention to it. I mean, if if the pastors are saying that and they believe, let me find it here. I just had it right in front of me here. When in the course if of the human past- events, sorry, go ahead. No, I know you know it, but, I, <laughs> I, but the part that that just that nails you to the wall is when it talks about that is we are responsible to rise up and throw off tyranny. It's our right and our duty. In our says, duty, yeah, and and as, and as believers. In the church, the measure of a man's want is seen in the nature of the power that awakens it. And what we have gotten away from in our nation is our responsibility as parents, and I'm speaking in generalities, to discipline our children. 
We no longer have discipline in schools. We create safe spaces instead of allowing people to deal with consequences, which create safe communities. And so what's happened is that that sensuality basically means it's the body's it means that the bodily satisfaction is taken as the source of life. If it feels good, do it. And that's what people say. And the church, a lot of churches, and I love the way Charlie says, is basically a TED Talk with, a, with a, an invitation at the end. I mean, I don't think I've ever heard it said better than that in a lot of churches. And I'm not judging them. But we've gotten away. We're looking more for likes, and we're being less trying to be like Christ because God doesn't call us to be perfect people. He calls us to be hidden in him. And if you look at Paul, you know, in Psalm 32, nine, it talks about be ye not as a horse or the mule, which have no understanding. I mean, you put a bit in their mouth for what the creature choose the for whatever creature choose instead of God is done by sensuality. And that's what we're seeing, right? It's what we feel. They're telling you go by your feelings. Don't look at the actual truth that you see that someone committed a crime. Just, just go by your feelings, what you feel, do it. And then it says the soul is spirit expressing itself rationally. And whenever the work of God and a man's soul, like the apostle Paul is stated, it does not contradict the rational element. It transcends it. Yeah. So God takes us when we look for truth and then we do what Paul says, stay hidden in Christ. And it transcends us to understand that truth. Now, as a believer, here's where it gets interesting. As a Christ follower, and you see the truth, God does never call a person to a static existence. He calls us to a dynamic relationship. It's not about the like. It's about being like Christ. And Christ never stayed still. And so when a man is born again, his personality becomes dead to the earth as the source of his inspiration, but alive to God. Amen. So as if we're alive to God, the snare that's getting most people is it makes— it is to make the reason work in a circle of our experiences and not in a circle of God. So we're looking at our experiences and you have these young people that have very few experiences. So they look at that circle. What is my experience? And as long as we use the image of our experience, our quote feelings, our sensuality and of our answers to prayer, we can't understand what the apostle Paul meant. I live yet no longer, but Christ lives in me. And God is the source of that life. And so that's how we have to take on this. If we don't, as a, as a church, as a body, and move with God as the source, that's the, that's the reason people have fear or don't want to get involved. The, the word you used is this, this bit in a horse's mouth is actually in the Koine Greek, the word for meek. It means a bit in a horse's mouth. This beast is under control by the master simply pulling to the right or the left. And it's, it's where our lives, poor in spirit, and it's part of the Beatitudes, and it's the foundational, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. You remove all of the loose fill dirt in order to get down to bedrock so you can build a foundation of recognizing in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. And Lord, I, I submit to you, help me. And then this, this bit, which is the law of God orchestrating in the life of the man or the woman, where God controls us because we are submitted into the hands of the master. And, and, and it's for our good and directs us into green pastures and still waters. And, 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 and it, it's a great blessing. When the apostle Paul said, and you were talking about sensuality, or, or this idea of senses, that we're, we're governed by what we feel as opposed to what we know, 
zeal without knowledge is foolishness, the scripture says. So Paul says in, in Galatians 3, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And the word for foolish, and I love what the pastor in New York City in his studies, this idea of foolish means shallow in analysis. We haven't done our homework. And, and we. Well, and to that. Yeah, go ahead. Just I want to inject one thing to that point. You just hit it. We haven't done our homework. Shallow in analysis. And that when you get beyond reason and experience and to the knowledge that God alone is life, I think the reason people have trouble is they're getting past, they're, they're getting stuck at the labor of thinking. Because 2 Corinthians 10, 15 implies thinking is a tremendous labor, right? Take captive every thought. And so you get people that don't want to think for themselves. And now we have big government coming in going, hey, listen, essentially, and we'll do the thinking for you. Yeah. Do what you feel. So that's where you're saying the labor. They're not doing the work. And that's to think. And to think and not act is what? Foolishness, right? It's not wisdom. Yeah, it's it, to have knowledge and not use it. it yeah. It, it doesn't help. It's what Aristotle calls the thinking virtue and the doing virtue. So the doing virtue is feeling. It's a motive. It, it, you you want to do something good. And, and so you see somebody who's, who's a heroin addict. Well, then you provide them free needles and that's, that's the doing virtue. It's, it, it makes you feel good, but there's nothing, there's nothing logical in that. And it doesn't make someone flourish to obtain the, the Imago Dei and to excel in excellence. It just causes them to be catatonic and, and the walking dead as they're nodding in their heroin stupor and they're defecating on themselves. And the government says, look what we've done for them. They've done nothing. But to the, the thinking virtue is to say, that person is non-productive, they're addicted, and we have, we have provided uh, a, a, a realm of society where, where we're destroying an entire generation of young people. And this is going to require a lot more work and to participate in a greater capacity. And, and when we remove the morality and we remove the churches and we remove the, the education of moral knowledge... All government can do is manage the, the decline. They, they need morality within the culture to sustain the culture. Government is only going to be as healthy as the citizenry itself. That's why a republic can only survive with the people who have moral knowledge. We need to know right and wrong. There can't be, it can't be subjective. It, it, you know, truth isn't what you want to make it to be or what you feel it is. These are the laws of nature and nature's God. It doesn't matter if you don't feel like gravity, ex gravity exists. It doesn't matter what your feelings are. You run off a cliff, you're going to die. I don't care if you feel like you're going to fly. That's a law. So, Well, and that's where we find ourselves right now. So how do we circle back and deal with a virus that isn't what everyone told us it was? Yeah. If we have to do that heavy lifting intellectually and mentally. We have to. I love when you and I and um, Bob McEwen were talking and Bob said this had to happen. Yeah. The thing is this, it's a lot to take in because we're not only recognizing that this virus wasn't what everyone thought it was, but this virus has just revealed that we have deep seated problems in almost every area of our governance and our scientific community and more importantly, being intellectually honest in ourselves, because if you want to look in your, the mirror as American citizen, you have to go, I stayed at home because they told me to. Nothing I saw, 
you know, in your community, I think you have hardly no. Okay, look at New Zealand. They have 22 deaths. They're arresting people if they get two miles outside their house and they don't have a mask. They have drones flying around. They are they are becoming tyrannical, and people are allowing it. And and so we have to change our entire mindset as a nation. And 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 we don't have to change it. We have to return to our mindset that made us great in the first place. We, you, you, can't, you can't go forward in the future unless you look to the past and are honest and not, not a revisionist history, but understanding that there's risk in life. There's understanding that there are consequences. We don't need to be creating safe spaces because safe spaces will never create a bold risk taker right. like a Thomas Edison, like a Wright brothers. They wouldn't have never invented the airplane. They would, too, they would be home you know, making sure they were on the first floor and they didn't fall off the second floor due to gravity. I mean we need to change the entire mindset as a nation, and, and it seems overwhelming, and that's where the grace of God comes in in faith. Yeah. And the church – God has given the church a giant pulpit to lead the way, and it's going to take men of faith like you that are going that don't care what people think. But you're you're not doing it for what people think. I know you. I know your heart. I know Charlie's heart. You're doing it because you're doing what God calls you to, and that inspires people. And then then the fruit that you bear are going to encourage other people. None of us are going to be able to go. Well, look what I did, and everyone followed me. You know, just like that video you showed where one guy's dancing around and then another guy, we need people stepping out because I'll tell you, I think there's a lot of people that are disgusted with the way they've been acting, but are afraid to address it. And and the cool thing about our father in heaven is we have redemption and forgiveness. It's not about yesterday. God gives us eyes in the front of our head to look forward, not in the back of our head to look behind us. So we need to make the step now. I mean, it's someone asked me the other day, when do we, what are we going to do and when are we going to do it? And I go now, I mean, if not now, when, I mean, they've shut down our country. They've told us we can't go to church. They're rioting. And in Washington, DC, they're talking about, you know, real insurrection and it's time to shut it down. Our president should declare an emergency in DC. He should say anyone that comes with any nefarious, you know, Actions is going to be go to prison. And if you have mayors that aren't doing it, federalize the area. But people need to understand something. Bad activity requires a swift response. A lot of guys in the military know that it's not the application of violence. It's the overwhelming application of violence quickly that usually stops conflict and prevents more injuries. It's only when you try to appease something that things get out of control. And I think a lot of these rioters need to go back to their parents' basements after they get spanked by the law enforcement and these governors and mayors need to need to have them do that. And, and, and right now we're not in an election for a Democrat and Republican. We're in a fight for the soul of our nation and every single person should be in person at that ballot box in November to restore this nation. And they need to be doing it now on this. Just go to work. I mean, it's time to do something and, and you have the moral high ground to do it. The, the critical nature of where we are, it almost causes people to feel overwhelmed. But I, 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 love, I love the idea that one man and God constitutes a majority. And, and, and the Lord's just looking for people to stand. He'll, he'll move. 
He just wants people to be faithful and stand. You don't have to worry about being eaten. Just stand in the lion's den. He'll take care of the rest. He'll, he'll cause them to lose their taste for human flesh if you just are obedient where he places you. And, and, and this is the call to those who call upon the name of the Lord that they would be these bulwarks for liberty to stand because liberty is God's idea. And, and as we're watching this start to foment and rise, we, we can be the instruments for that peace, the presence of Christ in the midst of rising, you know, chaos. The, the order of the Lord can come. And, and I, I love what you said because people can look and say, oh, it's overwhelming, it's daunting. And, and as we've traveled, we've gone to churches that have different eschatologies. And, and, and granted, there, there are some, not, not all, but a, a, a few, that in the pre-trib, pre-millennial mindset, which is an eschatology that, you know, the righteous will be removed before the, the, rapture, the, the rapture will occur before the tribulation. They, they almost feel like they're polishing brass on the Titanic and it's, it's, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy that this is the end of the world and the vaccine from Fauci is going to be the mark of the beast. And I get all that, but I, I want to I take you to this place where uh, you can elaborate with the remaining time we have. And it, it was fascinating to me. I watched a broadcast that uh, Pastor Tim Thompson put on uh, our watch. And you got a Democrat um, whose uncles were Democrats. One was a senator. One was a president. His dad ran for president. And the man I'm speaking of is Robert Kennedy Jr. His father, Bobby Kennedy, was killed in 68 when when he was 14 years of age. His uncle was killed in 63 when Robert Kennedy Jr. was nine. And, and uh, he came from a family with 11 siblings, a Catholic family. He himself has eight kids. He's uh, Harvard educated, Columbia Law School or Georgetown Law School. I mean, highly educated and a very, very gifted and capable attorney who's taken on the oil companies and has written op-eds in the New York Times and was the darling of the left for years. Now he takes on Big Pharma because none of the kids in his family ever had any allergies or issues or things of that sort. And back when he was young, the, the chronic illness in America was about 6%. Now we're approaching 50% of chronic illness. And he looks at these vaccines with mercury and all the other stuff and watching as we're having all these children across America that have been you know, with autism so severe that they're banging their heads and having to wear helmets. And he's contending on behalf of, of Big Pharma, uh, not on behalf of Big Pharma, but contending with Big Pharma of a billion dollar, multi-billion dollar industry. And then the backside of that industry is all the EpiPens and the epilepsy medicines of $50 billion to treat all the kids that have been affected by a, 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 an industry, a vaccine industry that cannot be litigated against. You, you, you can't find fault with them based on government issues. And you have Dr. Fauci with his, his Moderna medication that he wants to thrust on the population. And he's sitting on a treasure trove of money and, and he's changing the data every day. And, and none of us get to see this. And a man who was once the darling in the New York Times is dismissed and no one will even debate him or, or entertain him. And now he's going into evangelical churches as a left-leaning 
you know, Catholic Democrat and finding an audience of people who love liberty. And he's starting to realize. And as we had, as you commented, the mayor of Nevada City, you know, a secular progressive lesbian left leaning, you know, and, and I love her. I do, too. She's, She's precious. And, and and we're 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 seeing it together. We're Americans. We love liberty. And, and this is this is where we are. And people have to wake up. And, and th- my favorite is they just dismiss you as a conspiracy theorist because you challenge orthodoxy. And everyone can, y- you are shallow in analysis, foolish, and it's time to wake up. I don't know if you want to talk on that, but that's a long, you got yeah, nine minutes. I, I can, <laughs> about, about the vaccine. Yeah. Again, look at history. Um, we have an amazing history in this country. There's good history, things that happened that were great, and there's a lot of things that happened that weren't great. History, you don't hide it because you learn from it. I mean, you can look back to 1864 when they tried to have mail-in ballots to keep Lincoln from being reelected. People should Google that and look it up. Yep. I mean, there's a reason the Democrats like these mail-in ballots. History will teach you on vaccines Do a little digging about the vaccine for the Spanish flu. I think people will find some fascinating information. They'll find some information that a lot of people died when they rushed a vaccine for the Spanish flu. But I encourage you not to be intellectually lazy, but do your own research and understand it. Don't be be shallow in analysis. Correct. Yeah, just just don't be lazy. Yeah. And, and, And the thing is... If you look at vaccines, it takes years to get a vaccine to market. Yet all of a sudden, we're rushing this vaccine. Now, everyone does understand, this is the reality, that only about six to 9,000 people have died from the coronavirus directly, that the virus killed them. Everyone else had two to three comorbid problems that more than likely caused their death. And that the majority of deaths are people over the age of 65, And there's very few, if almost negligible, in young people. So with that said, Google Fauci in 2018 when he was talking about that was a bad flu season, the vaccine then, when it was, quote, only 30% effective. And he laughed about it. He said, well, the vaccine's not working real well this year. The bottom line is flu, flu vaccines work sometimes. If you read the insert on the flu vaccine, it'll tell you it doesn't work all the time. So again, here's our another bite at the apple on reality. Why are we treating this different from everything else? Yeah. Why are we telling people you have to have the vaccine? It doesn't make sense. They haven't had enough time to test it and do it. And I think the best way to look at this vaccine would be to line up everyone from that company, all their investors, give them the vaccine, and let's monitor them for a year. Let's give Dr. Fauci the vaccine. Let's monitor him for a year. And, you know, if they believe in their product so much and they're so proud of it, give it to their children. Give it to all their relatives. That can be the study group and then do a real study. But you don't push something out real fast for a problem that's not what they said it was. They've been wrong. Dr. Fauci has yet to be right and correct in anything. The models have all been wrong. So it's, it's, it's typical. It's like we've been wrong about everything, but we're right about the vaccine. So everyone get it. And, and again, follow the money. Yeah. You're talking about a company that stands to make 
a significant billions. And at the same time, why was Dr. Fauci supporting the research on SARS-CoV-2 back in or coronavirus and SARS a few years ago? Why did he write that grant and, and sign the funding or be a part of that? Because people that work with the government can still hold patents. Yep. That's, that's and why were they to... doing that gain-of-function research? Let me just tell you, I would not personally take a vaccine that has an avalanche of questions and no answers that I can see out there. And, and, you know, and, I, and I'll tell you this, when I say they should take it, unfortunately, I know a lot of doctors in different areas that spouted the line, don't use hydroxychloroquine. But I can tell you, I know for a fact that they took it and they gave it to their family members, just the opposite, because they yeah. knew it worked. So if you have the courage of your convictions and you think this is such a great medication, then, you know, the people that are designing to give it to their children. But at the end of the day, we have our birth certificate, our documents. We are a free people. And that's a decision that people should make between themselves and their doctor, looking at the studies, looking at the research. And right now. Trust is earned, and I think our medical establishment, the big medical establishment, has establishment has lost trust with the American people. Exactly, and 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 that should be earned back. Let's and and the media is gone, so you can't listen to what they say. Let Let's do this in the in the last few minutes, and, and I love this about you, Keith. Bring it back to the Lord. At the end of the day. God is a very patient, loving God. Amen. He's a God of infinite mercy because that's the only reason I'm here. And it, as I read the Bible, and I just started reading the Bible a few years ago, I see over and over again where God will give chance after chance for his people to turn back to him. God, there's no way anyone who's intellectually honest can deny that this country was founded on Judeo-Christian principles and that we have a covenant from God. There's no way the, one of the youngest countries in the world has the oldest government. And we have it because we had men that weren't perfect, but they had faith. And they dedicated what they did to God. And the way they did that was to ensure freedom for generations to come. Yeah. And that's a covenant that we have. So if we want to keep it that we talk about, I would encourage everyone to work on their relationship with God. It's not about going to church, although that's great, read your Bible. It's about that personal relationship. And, and when you do that, you're going to see a lot of people get out and start to live free again. Not because they feel they should, but because they know that it's their responsibility. Because with every right comes a responsibility. And I think this nation is in for a revival. I really do. Awakening and you and I have talked about it, awakening. Yeah. And, I, and I, would, I would tell you, if, if you can get 1,000 rioters, then we can counter that with 100,000 righteous. Amen. Not perfect people, but people that just want to just – if 100,000 people go out to hug 1,000 people, those 1,000 will they'll melt away. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, when, when, you, when you light – one candle in an absolutely dark room, the candle becomes the focus of the room. And I think it's time that we just infuse these areas with the presence of the Lord. I love uh, Sean, the worship leader who ran for a congressional seat, didn't win in the primary, but he's gone into some of the most devastated areas and has just begun to lead worship and, and share the Lord. And I, 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 think, I, I think Christians really need to start 
operating in their faith with, with action that will put them in a place where they, they trust the Lord and they're gonna be instruments to, to bring order out of this chaos. And so I, I think it's wonderful the way you concluded it tonight. And I'm, I'm blessed by that, Keith. And I'm, I'm thankful. We've had the privilege to be friends in less than a year. But we feel like, like I've known you forever. Yeah, it just, it, it, exactly. And I have grown leaps and bounds knowing you and, and you attribute to me kindness beyond what I'm worthy of. But I just, I, I, it's the economy of God's grace. And uh, so tell Erica, thank you. And tell your dad, congratulations. And um, I will, I will. Yeah. He, he, said, he said to give you his best. He's, he's looking forward to coming and visiting the church. But, you know, I think a lot of people to end with this, they feel like it's hopeless. No. Or they can't see how this gets fixed. And I would tell you, good, you're at your wits end. That's where God's wisdom starts. Amen. And he doesn't share his glory with anyone. So let's just have faith. I mean, I'm excited for the fact that I can't see how this works out. Because if I can wrap my one pound brain around <laughs> his infinite power, uh, yeah. he's not God. I yeah, mean, we, and I'm definitely not God. So we'll up with that. I think it's going to be exciting. Yeah. And, I, and I would just keep the faith, brother, because your, your, your congregation made my wife and I feel so many people came up and said hello. I, I've never felt more love from a church. And it was really cool because I'm not a real church guy. So it was, you, you're, you're, you, the Lord is doing something special through you and through Charlie and through a lot of people. So everyone, you got a part. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that looks like. So pray about it and then go be that light. Enough lights get together. You know, we'll look like a stadium pretty soon. And then the day. Love it. Amen. Well, bless you. I'll, I'll uh, sign off with everyone, but I'll say good night to you. And thanks for staying up late good with night, us. Brother. Love you. Bless you. All right. Y'all be safe. Bye-bye. So uh, another lovely night with Dr. Keith Rose. Uh, his, uh, the Scalpel is his podcast. If you haven't subscribed to it, you need to. Uh, the, the stuff that uh, we've been getting for months, he, he, he covers on his. And we actually get it before he usually broadcasts on the Scalpel. So uh, he's real gracious to share that with us. Um, I wanted to again say thank you to all of you. Across the country, across the world, folks have been tuning in. You've been blessing us. You've been encouraging us. Your, your kind notes, your prayers. Uh, I can't thank you enough. Uh, one day I hope to meet all of you. Uh, but right now, this is the best we can do on a relationship in regards to that. But if you come and visit us here from wherever you reside, it would be an honor to meet you. And I just wanted to say thank you to all of you tonight. And so let me close in prayer and then I'll, I'll bless you with the reading out of number six. Uh, Lord, thank you for this evening. And I thank you for Dr. Keith. I thank you, Lord, for the hope that we do have that it's not lost. And Lord, we're grateful for this excitement, this, this awakening uh, that, that seems to be moving across the nation. And, and that movement, especially uh, Pastor Jurgen and the C3 churches and so many others now responding. And God, please, I, I just, I ask that you would bring an awakening that we as your people wouldn't be shallow in analysis, but Lord, we would be prepared and we would know the concerns of the day and be educated on them. And so God, thank you. Uh, we pray your mercy upon our land. And we ask God for an awakening and a revival, not by might, not by power, but by your spirit, Lord. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here's a blessing for you tonight. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And also for my co-pilot, David Glinky, get home safe. We miss you. 
And uh, all of you, thank you so much. Have a lovely evening and we'll see you tomorrow night. Good night.